Good morning, everyone. Welcome to Lake Community Church. So glad you're here. Would you stand with us if you're able? We're going to spend some time worshiping through song.
He alone is our object of affection this morning. That He alone is our source of joy and hope. And anything else that we place our hope or joy in this week is what the Bible would call an idol. And so we recenter and refocus together as a community and say, you and you alone are our source of hope and joy and passion. And make that so, Lord, this morning, I pray. Yes. Amen. Amen. So glad you're here. Turn now, greet the community around you. Make them feel welcome. Thank you for taking that time. If you're still filling out that connection card and prayer card, that is fantastic. Just keep going while I'm speaking. The ushers will come by after the service. The bulletin falls nicely in half. So strategically, that card just flaps right out. And you can put that in the offering plate at the end of the service. But we have a couple of announcements. Our first big announcement is we have our life group launch today. We're a church that believes that we are better together. We get together on Sunday, and it's fantastic to see everybody shaking hands and meeting people they don't know, know or celebrating with people they do know and just saying, how are you? That's what, it's, that's what it's, it's all about, being the body of Christ, getting together, celebrating, mourning, doing all that stuff together. But life groups is where it really happens on a weekly basis. How many people are part of a life group or have been part of a life group or have been blessed by life? Here's my, here's, my, here's my secondary challenge. I guarantee, this is my guarantee. If you sign up for a life group today, you will be blessed. And if you don't, you can have your money back. <laughs> I'll, I'll give you every cent you put in. I guarantee 
It is such an amazing opportunity. I get together with our life group. We meet every other week. It's on a Friday. And every time I walk out of there, I'm blessed. It's me with other men. I'm in a strictly men's group. We get to, I get to glean from guys who have way more years of experience in life than I do. And we get to, I get to learn from them about how they view things. We all view things differently. I'm from Illinois. How many people from Illinois? Oh, oh my gosh, hey, my people. We'll meet right after by the coffee. But I have a different perspective. I'm from the Midwest. There are people from different countries, all different places. We get together and we just bring another piece of the body of Christ. So I encourage you, if you want to sign up for a life group, if you have a thought about a life group, let's start that discussion. Come see me after the service. I'll be right outside those doors. And for our second announcement, we have a big thing coming up. I'm going to invite Nicole up here to help me with this. I want you to save the day. Can you say save the day? Save the day. February 24th, Sunday, February 24th, we got something big going on. Nicole, can you tell us about that? Yes, we do. So hopefully a lot of you remember last week when I told you about Community Serve Day. So we are so excited to go out in the community on February 24th and be like Jesus. We're going to serve people and we're going to be out in the community being the church. So we have something for everybody. We have um, simple projects that you can do sitting down right here in the sanctuary in the church. We're going to be writing letters for our first responders and then taking them over to the firehouse down the street. That's something that anybody can do, any age, any physical ability. We also have more physical things. If you want to get out there, roll up your sleeves and get dirty, we're going to be going down to our neighbors at Habitat for Humanity, and we're going to be helping them do some organization and um, some uh, organizing to do, to do more so that they can provide more San Diegans with sustainable housing. So we're so excited to have this opportunity to go actually go out and practice what we preach and what we hear Pastor C preaching about. So come see me and Ian out on the patio. We will help you get signed up. The web link is in your bulletin, and it looks a little bit scary. I'm not going to be, I'm not going to lie about it. When you first go on the website, you're like, where do I go? Just look for the register button and then search by LJCC. There's actually an LJCC link, which will filter all of the opportunities available so you can see what our church is doing. If none of those are interesting to you, that's okay. You can pick one of the other sites around the county. There are 67 sites happening throughout San Diego. So um, there's something for everybody. Find what you're passionate about and go do it. We're excited to have you out there. I like the beach. Is there something at the beach? Yes, there is. Aaron Sir is leading a beach cleanup. Aaron Sir is leading a beach cleanup. Uh, who doesn't like the beach? If not, you can stay here and we can do letters. What a fantastic opportunity. I highly encourage you at least come to start talking about it, asking questions. If you want more information, go to ljcc.org. That's ljcc.org for more information. And just if you have questions, just email me and Nicole or anybody here. We can answer your questions. Well, I said earlier, we're a church that's rooted in prayer. So let's go to a time of prayer. I'm going to invite Mike Hedman to come pray for us. Good morning. Good morning. Uh, would you please join me in prayer? Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you this morning for the blessing and privilege to be created in your image. We praise you that we are fearfully and wonderfully made, that you have inscribed your attributes on our hearts, and that as you are creative, we too can be creative. You have said in your word that all the days ordained for us were written in your book before even one of them came to be, and that as our days are, so shall our strength be. Father, we thank you for the unique path you ordain for each of us to walk, whatever that may be, and for blessing us with the gift of creative minds with which we can partner with you as we live out our lives for you and the world you have placed us in. 
And Father, we lift up to you this morning our youth who are away at winter camp. Bless and keep them this and every day as they learn to trust and to walk with you. Bless and equip those young adults who so freely give of their time to disciple our children. And may we never forget the awesome responsibility that is upon all of us to walk humbly before you and to be ever mindful of the example that we are all to set for these impressionable youth, modeling your love, compassion, loving kindness, and self-sacrifice for them and for others. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Mike, thank you. Well, we launched into this new year with the intent to connect, to reconnect with God. Uh, we started by talking about prayer, but not just prayer, effective prayer. What does effective prayer look like uh, versus just praying the same old things about the same old things? So we gave you some, some tools, some practical ways to approach prayer in a fresh way. We talked about Bible study, but not just Bible study. We talked about inspiring Bible study. What would it look like for you to read the Bible and engage it in a way that would inspire you? And so we gave you some practical tools for that. Uh, we talked last week about uh, meditation, meditating on God's Word and allowing it to go deep, to transform the way we think, the way we see ourselves, the world, to move into our heart, that, that 18 inch gap from our head to our heart. And by meditating on God's Word, we access that. And it wasn't just meditation, it was mindful meditation. Having an intentional, specific way of coming at meditating on God's Word, that's a tool we gave you. So go back and look at those. If you, haven't, if you didn't get to uh, hear those the first time, go back and look at those. Today we're talking about work. And not just work, we're talking about creative work. Uh, which might sound like an oxymoron to you. Uh, I can see creative leisure, uh, creative fun, but the idea of work being creative, maybe not so much. So I want to give you today a, a fresh, practical perspective on what uh, your creative work in the world uh, could look like. Uh, what will it take for you to see your work in the world and all that you do day in and day out in the actual life you live is actually being a creative part of what God is doing in the world. So that's where we're going today. And to get there, uh, we're going to ask uh, some questions. So my, my notes just went away. Here we go. Uh, we're going we're gonna to try to explore this through two questions. First of all, what is creative work? Uh, and even now, as I say that question, what is creative work? What comes to your mind? What comes to your mind uh, when, it, when, when you hear the phrase creative work? It could be that immediately you discount your participation in any kind of work called creative, because you just have a job. Uh, but we want to talk about what creative work is, and then we want to talk about what does creative work have to do with connecting to God? Why is the work that we do uh, supposed to be a creative work that connects us to God? And that's where, we're going, that's where we're going this morning. So the first big idea of the morning is this. God works. God works. Uh, that might be an odd thought to you. Uh, probably if it is, it's because you have a Greek or a Roman idea about work. In our culture, we, we have a Greek and, and Roman idea about work. But really what we need is a, an Hebraic idea about work. A Greek or Roman view of work is work is for losers, for little people. Uh, if you have enough power or wherewithal, you get out of work. The whole idea is to avoid work. Uh, to be what uh, Warren Buffett says about your money, making money while you're sleeping is a goal. You know, having somebody else do the work for you is the goal. Uh, that's not the Hebraic view. And that's not the view that we get when we look at the Bible and see the God that we love and we worship. Uh, Jesus said to the people, uh, John records this in his gospel, My Father is always at his work to this very day. God the Father, Jesus says, is always at his work. And you're thinking, well, what kind of God is that if he can't get out of work? 
We think the ultimate goal would be to get out of work. Uh, but God somehow uh, is, is, is in the business of convincing us that work is what makes us feel most alive. And we're going to define that, that, that term work. And Jesus says, I too am working. Uh, it's an interesting point of view. I love that phrase, God works. Uh, first of all, it means that he does real work. He does real work. Uh, the British monarchy works. I'm seeing it with a smile on my face. If, you, if you're a billionaire and you go around cutting ribbons on museums and hospitals and things, that's a fantastic gesture and that does count as a work. But it's not exactly the way God works, right? Uh, the way God works is, is something different and it's real work, significant work, essential work uh, that, that we depend on. God works also means God really is our solution for making life work. So it's not just God works as in God works, it's going with God works. God works in, in your life as you take Him seriously. And the third way uh, is knowing how God works really will teach us how to do our best work. Now you might think, uh, God is not allowed in my place of work. We have explicit or implicit rules about bringing God to work. Uh, I'm, I'm talking about God working through you in your work in a way that uh, you don't have to get permission and you will, you will violate no laws. But that if God is at work in you, it's going to influence the way you do your work in a way that will add value to your work that you could never imagine, but for knowing God and how He works. You with me so far? And so we see in the opening chapters of the Bible, Genesis 1 and 2, God speaks creation into existence with a word. Let there be light in His light. And uh, I'm so grateful that most of us can't speak reality by just expressing a word. Uh, it, it would be very much the case that we'd be surrounded by dead bodies. Traffic piled up on either side of the lanes on the freeway. Uh, lines of people buying something, waiting to get in somewhere else, and pushed to the side. I mean, if we could just express a word for a lot of times, it wouldn't be very good. In God's case, every word he expressed in creation uh, was punctuated by the word good. And it was good. It was the first day. The second day was good. The third day. By the time God finishes his work on the end of the sixth day, he says it was good, good. Emphasizing the fact that it was very good. It was excellent. And so uh, he forms us and breathes life into us, giving us an active part in his creative work. So how do you summarize that? God declares his work good. God gave us a good work to do. That was a promotion, not a demotion. Hey, glad you're here, Adam and Eve. We got work to do. Uh, if you're ever a kid that woke up on Saturday morning and your father said, hey, we're going to work all day, starting in the yard and then going deeper into the yard. It's like not a good day. This is why sports was invented for children. <laughs> to give us an excuse to get out of that drudgery work that only adults thought was necessary and essential on a Saturday. Uh, and so we made them work. They have to sit on a hard bench and watch us play baseball. Yeah. Or sit by a pool and watch us do whatever we're doing in the pool. They have to drive us places and pay for the privilege of watching us uh, travel uh, on a sports team. Um, but when God gave us this good work to do, it was a promotion, not a demotion. It was a, I'm going to let you in on uh, the most exciting thing happening the work I'm doing in the world, in you and through you. Uh, but things went awry. So we get to Genesis chapter 3, and all of a sudden we realize that as perfect as it was, as good as it got, uh, it wasn't enough for Adam and Eve. Uh, whether you believe in a literal Adam and, Eve, Adam and Eve, or the fact that God created people in his image, however the technology worked, uh, the Bible tells us that these two people, Adam and Eve, disobeyed God and said, I think we can do better. I think God might be holding out on us. And they were tempted by this other creature in the form of a servant, you know, presenting to them an alternative reality, fake news. 
did God really say? And they bought it, and they, and they, they bit it, and they, they, they took it in, and everything was horrible because of that. So we, we, we discovered that God, having suffered a serious setback in his good work, now is committed to restoring his world with yet more good work. It wasn't that God's work wasn't good enough at the outset. It was that his good work was distorted and defaced uh, by human will. We chose to not trust God. We chose to not obey God. If you want to think of your work as drudgery and a curse, you're welcome to that. Because that is the result of not trusting and obeying God in your, in your work. As soon as we say, Lord, I want to do your work your way. I want to be part of your work. Uh, we can't go back to the garden, but we can go forward with God and rediscover what this good work that God made us for is all about. And part of that is being part of his work in the world. So his work is completed. Uh, this work of restoration and redemption of the world is completed in Christ. And though we live in a time where it's, it's, it's happening now, but it's not yet complete. What Jesus did was absolutely enough to make it complete, but we haven't seen the outcome yet. So, so somebody described it as this. It's now, but not yet. Now we're seeing the redemptive work of God. The fact that we're worshiping Him in this place. The fact that we're in life groups and community around Him. The fact that we're seeking Him in His Word. We're learning to communicate in prayer. We're learning to meditate deeply uh, on His Word and understand His ways. God is restoring humanity and it's happening all around the world right now. Profound things have happened and are happening because of God's restorative, redemptive work in the world. But it's yet to be fully realized. There will be a, new, a time when there will be a new heaven and a new earth. And so <clears throat> this work is, is completed in Christ and will be ultimately uh, fulfilled in Jesus Christ. If God created by speaking word, he continues through the word, the, the incarnate word of God, Jesus Christ, to restore and redeem the world he created. So in and through Jesus, God is transforming our beautiful but broken and corrupted and rebellious world into Christ's kingdom, the new creation. So we see in the first two chapters of Genesis, the, 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 the opening uh, beautiful picture of creation. We see in the last cha couple chapters of the book of Revelation, the culmination of the new creation. And in between, uh, it's, it's a chronicle, a narrative of God's redemptive work in the world. And so by his righteousness, through his justice, through his love, God rescues us and restores our true humanity. If you don't know Jesus, this is an outrageous thing to say in our culture. If you don't know Jesus, you are not experiencing your true humanity. That's not a religious claim, a cultural claim. That's not a xenophobic uh, fear. If you're not an American, uh, you're not an American if you're not a Christian. It has nothing to do with being American. It has to do with if the world was created by the word of God through Christ and the world is being redempted, redeemed, through Christ the incarnate, the embodied word of God, then if we don't know him, we're not in touch with our true humanity. It's not a my God is better than your God statement. It's if this is true, he is God. He's the one that is going to show us what it means to be truly human and truly alive. Not by being more religious, but by being in a deeper relationship with the God who created us and formed us and blew the breath of life into us. And loves us so much that even in spite of our rebellion, our indifference, our hostility, our benign neglect, is saying, I want you to know me. You are my beloved son or daughter. And come to me in faith. And so this is God's creative work. You with me so far? That's a summary. Actually, that's an entire summary of the entire Bible. 
The details are really a lot more interesting than just a summary. But if, 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 you, if you get what I just said, you understand the entire scope of the Old and the New Testament. And then the detail, though, drives it home and into us in ways that is practical and allows us to access it one day at a time. Okay, so then that the, brings us to the second big idea of the morning. If the first is that God works, the second is this. God calls us to join Him in His work. This sounds like a crazy thing, doesn't it? How can I call, uh, be possibly qualified enough to join God in His work? And God, what is God thinking about? How desperate can He be <clears throat> to call me into His work? Uh, unless He's called a billion and a half people and none of them were available uh, to work in the yard on Saturday and He got down to me on the list. <clears throat> Late yesterday, Janet and I were walking along the beach, and uh, we saw in giant letters uh, somebody's name, and underneath it said, you know, a prom, and then question mark. I, said, I thought, that is so neat. I said, wouldn't it be funny, though, to cross it out and put a bunch more names? <laughs> she said, oh my gosh, what if? You invited the person you want to go, and they came down and saw the question, but there's like six names that were written and crossed out in front of your name. You think, oh, great, yeah, okay. Well, that's kind of what comes to my mind when I think God is inviting me to join him in his work in the world. Can he not possibly find any better player? Uh, you might have coached a team like this on occasion. Uh, you might have coached a team where every kid you thought, this was a kid that was just at the end of the list, the cutoff point on all the other teams. And they got all those kids together and they asked me to be the coach of this team. And, uh, and, and what did you do at that point? You said, you know what, who cares? We're gonna just have a great time being a team. And whatever we get out of it will be because we're working hard at enjoying this process of engaging in this work, this, this team sport. So God calls us to join him in his work. Why? Because that's how we grow. That's how we fully develop. That's how we live out into the fullness of our humanity. I mentioned to you a couple weeks ago that I was in the airport in October, and I'm standing there, and I look back, and there's Francis Collins, the most famous scientist in the world, in my opinion. The guy who mapped the human genome, uh, head of the NIH. Uh, this year, they solved, um, <clears throat> they solved through genomic medicine, sickle cell anemia. Amazing, the difference that makes in people's lives. And that guy would say, hey, when I was an atheist, I was an awesome doctor and scientist. But when I look back after meeting Jesus, I can't imagine doing what I do but for knowing him, right? The difference for him is life and death, night and day. It's not to discount any doctor that doesn't know Jesus. It just says, until you know Jesus, you don't understand the fullest context. You, you, you lack the awe and the mystery of realizing this God who gave me the capacity to, to plumb and be curious about the mysteries of the human body and the human mind and, and the way uh, all this created world or this, this world that I live in uh, has such interesting capacities to bless people. I know the one who made it. That's, that's the power of that seed. And so God calls us to join him in his work. So Jesus, um, as he's meeting with his disciples for the last meal, and this is chronicled by John, one of the disciples who was at that meal. Jesus said, believe me, I, I am in my Father and my Father is in me. It's a way of saying I am God. If you can't believe that, believe what you see, these works. What were these works over three years that they'd seen? Through everything he said, through everything he did, through his very presence, he was convincing as the Messiah of Israel. People said, who is this? Nobody speaks like this. He speaks with authority. He does the things that only God can do. That's profound, isn't it? You look at the work of Jesus, what he did. In fact, the end of this book, John, says, if 
uh, there's not room in this book to list all the things that Jesus did. And John says, if we did, it would fill libraries. So the person, Jesus says, who trusts me will not only do what I'm doing, but even greater things. Because I, on my way to the Father, am giving you the same work to do that I've been doing. What is that work? It's being fully present, fully alive in the Lord. It's being, in a sense, recreated and transformed into your true identity, your true humanity. Regaining and recapturing that sense of, I was created to join God in His work, and it's the best thing I could possibly do. Because I've never felt more alive than being in that work. And what does he say? The way he says it is emphatic. You can count on it. You can go to the bank on this. You will not be disappointed if you do this. Paul, uh, the rabbi who became a follower of Jesus, became one of the great apostles to the non-Jewish people, the Gentiles, said this, Whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Now when you operationalize this by internalizing it, and living it out. And if somebody asks you what motivates you, you give a reason for the hope that is within you. But it's not like you show up and, and you're watching, you know, the golf tournament on TV and the guy's about to play and he stops and says, I just like to say, I'm doing all this in the name of Jesus. And, and people be like, what is that all about? That's distracting. Even, even people who, who share the faith in Jesus would say, that's, that's kind of odd. But if you were talking to that person afterwards, or he was being, she was being interviewed, say, what was going on in your head like that? You'd say, you know, uh, I was feeling the stress, the pressure. I was kind of excited to think that I'm at this moment. And I said, Lord, just help me to do my best. And that God gave me a piece. So all of a sudden, then you say, wow, I get the operational way that this works. It was like when you heard, you know, a, a, a Debbie Lennard talking about doing that surgery, that impossible surgery where she's praying, praying, praying. She's, a, she's this phenomenal plastic surgeon. And, and all of a sudden, God gives her this vision of what she could do to do beyond what is the conventional surgery on this woman's face. It was, I mean, it was tear moving. It didn't move you to tears hearing that story. Yes. It was her to tears telling it. And this is what God wants to do in having us become part of the work he's doing that we do in his name. So in addition to prayer, Bible study, meditation, we connect with God through his powerful, creative work in the world. He's still doing powerful, creative work in the world. And you are examples of it. Some of you are sitting here saying, I would not be married today if it wasn't for God's powerful creative work in me. You would, you would be, not be sitting here and you'd say, I would have taken my life, but for God's powerful creative work in me, I wouldn't be sitting here. Or I would have given up, or I'd be self-medicating, or I'd be whatever. But you are testimonies of God's grace, that his work in you uh, has efficacy. That is, is true. You can count on it. And now as you learn to participate, in the work that God is doing in you and through you in very mundane, everyday ways. Every diaper you change, every lawn you mow, uh, every patient you see, every contract you write, you are participating uh, in, in a wonderful way in God's creative work in the world by you being present to Him in it. So, by the way, it includes your day job. Do you ever feel like you're surrounded by velociraptors at work? Uh, <clears throat> This is true in your actual day job. Uh, it includes your boss. It includes the crazy colleagues and customers uh, you have to deal with every day. Uh, that sometimes feel like a mob of zombies, right? Uh, let me ask you this question. 
Uh, do any of these apply to you? I don't particularly like my work. Uh, I have a chaotic job, not a creative job. Or is this your attitude? Creative work is a rare luxury for a few. Or this one. I don't see how I can contribute to God's work in the world in any meaningful way. If you're thinking any of these or some version of these, or actually I'm desperately in need of a job but I, I really don't want one if I could help it, that would be another attitude. If you're thinking any of these things and you are a candidate for, for a makeover in terms of what constitutes your true work in the world and the work that God wants to do in you and through you. Because we need to reframe how we see our work and God's creative work as the basis for our work. We're made in His image to flourish. His work in us shapes our work in life. And in Him, we learn to claim our soul. It is what is at stake, our soul. Even in adversity, boring jobs, or limited resources. Therefore, we need to learn to flourish where we are. On our, way, on our way to where we want to be. Let that sink in. If you're not flourishing where you are, you're not going to recognize the turn off, the on-ramp, the off-ramp for where you want to be. It's, it, this is so important, especially for younger people to get this. Especially for, and also for people who are, are kind of midway through what they thought they'd want to do, but they're feeling frustrated and held back. Uh, when, when I graduated from high school, I was so burned out with high school, I did not want to go to college right away. My parents freaked out, you know, predictably, they were freaking out over it. Uh, and I decided with another friend, we're going to just hitchhike around the country and visit friends. And, and so, uh, uh, I, as a 17 year old, that's what I did. And so we came back late in the fall. And by the way, if you're a young person listening to this, disregard everything I'm saying. <laughs> uh, I, I, otherwise, I have to have a long conversation with your parents explaining and apologizing for what I just told you. Uh, it was a different era. It was like Camelot. You could, you know, it was just wonderful. Uh, it was, everything was peaceful and nice, and everybody was nice to pick this up. So, um, but not anymore. It's dangerous. Don't do. Don't hit China. But what happened was, I came back, had this great experience. Came back, and I thought, okay, I got, you know, a couple months before I go to college, in in, in the winter uh, term. And so, what am I going to do? I, I, I need to get a job. I, I, through a, a friend, I got a job at a factory. Now, as a suburban kid, I didn't know what a factory was. I didn't know what factories did. Uh, they're the kind of places I came to realize that you drive by and not even notice them, except for maybe the smoke belching out of the smokestack or all the cars lined up. And so I go to work at this place, and it was like the bar scene out of Star Wars. It was just a very different environment than I was used to. And I'm by far the youngest person working there. And I'm now thinking I've been punked by my friend, this well-meaning dad, who said, well, I know a guy who's a factory, you get a job there. And so as I'm working there, the first thing I realized was different was that some guy, some big, scary-looking dude came up to me at a first break and said, you need to slow it down, buddy. Oh. Like, what do you mean slow it down? You, you know, you're working a little bit too eagerly here. We have a pace, and you're messing up the pace. I'm like, oh my gosh. Uh, that's, that's bad, you know. But I was, I, I thought, I can't just put in the mindless time at this job and not just work hard. So I was working, working hard. And irritating my, co my colleagues, but then at the same time I'm getting home, and they just thought, okay, he's a kid, he won't, he'll be gone soon. And so I was, I was in this place where I realized I would never want to do this more than two months. I would never want to do this as a career. One day, the guy who runs the factory walks in and says, hey, can I talk to you? I thought I was getting fired or something for working too fast. 
And he pulls me in his office and he says, um, what do you think? I said, about what? He goes, about that. I said, well, it'll be a great two months when I'm done. <laughs> because that's what I was hoping you said. But you know what? The way you're working tells me that you have a future. And you keep working like that, and, and you're going to do whatever you want to do. And he started to tell me this story. And the guy had this insanely epic story. It turns out he was just running this factory on behalf of a guy he had invested money in because he saw this hardworking roofer who created this roofing system uh, that he wanted to put money into. It turns out this guy was this guy with a PhD and invented this company and sold it to IBM for a zillion dollars and didn't have to work at all, but he's doing this because he, he wanted to help his buddy. And it made such a difference in my life. I realized, oh my gosh, you have to be fully invested where you are at that moment in order to be ready to go to the next moment. Because if you're mailing it in, you're never going to get out of the factory. And if you're going to stay in the factory, the days are going to go by a lot faster if you're holding into it versus resenting it. And so we need to learn to see our work as more than just our job. Because maybe your job is never going to fulfill you. But maybe that's not the point of your job. Maybe your whole work, the whole work of your life, and your job is a small part of it, is, is an essential fulfillment. You do what you do, not because you love doing it every day, but because it allows you to do other things that you want to be able to do. You see what I'm saying? So by reframing your life as an entire work, your job being a, a, maybe a temporary or a seasonal aspect of it, and if you can change that job, by all means change it, but it's not just your job that defines your work. Your vocation, in our culture, vocation means your job. The biblical term vocation, uh, the vocare, is God's call. Vocation is calling. Your calling is to do your best at your job so that you can do the best at your work. You see what I'm saying? And this guy who pulled me out of the factory for just a little conversation really made that clear to me. That he put it in perspective that I was thinking, oh my gosh, this guy is telling me I have a larger calling. And if my job was this forever, I still have to see this as part of my larger calling. But given the circumstances, I could see this was a really great motivator to start college the next semester, right? <laughs> Which my parents were relieved uh, about, for sure. So, I'm just getting back on track here. So your soul, your core identity is at stake. So the scripture says it this way, what good will it be for someone to gain the whole world, yet forfeit their soul? Let's just say, you, you do your, your job so well that you get paid a lot, you, you get a lot of accolades and reinforcement, and all of a sudden you're living this life you wanted to live through the job you do, but you've traded your soul for it. You don't know that you have a larger life work. All you think is that you're competing with other people for more stuff. What can anyone give in exchange for their soul? Well, you don't have a soul, you are a soul. Either you're nurturing your larger column or you're starving it. There's a lot of wealthy, successful, impressive-looking people who have starved their souls. There's a lot of wealthy, successful people who have fed their souls. So it's not wealth and success. It's not poverty uh, or you know, having a hard, hard time in a, in a mundane job. It's your soul. Is your soul thriving or is it not? For the Son of Man is going to come in His Father's glory with His angels, and He will reward each person according to what they have done. And really implicit in this is, is how they've done what they do. Uh, I, I, years ago I was giving a talk at a very large uh, church 
uh, talking about work, a uh, different talk than this, but I was talking about work. But similar idea that, you know, this is what God wants us to do, is to, to understand our, our work. And this guy came to you, and all these very impressive people were standing around waiting to talk to me. I was talking to one very impressive person, and they're good people, but they, they, their accolades were, were stunning. Listen, this, this guy wasn't really too aware of the fact that the people waiting to talk to me. He just walks up to me in the middle and goes, hey, that really spoke to me, and, and I totally get what you're talking about today. I said, oh man, that's great, yeah, thanks. It's a little awkward. But I guess he's, he's a really good guy, kind of, kind of a simple guy. And he said, because you know, I, I just, that's what I do with my job. I said, oh, what's your job? He said, well, uh, it's a super important job. And I work in the student union at San Diego State, and I clean the tables. And I know those students are working so hard, and they're so pressured, that I just want to make sure they have a really clean space to take a break. Now, as this guy said, I am feeling like I'm about to start crying. I don't cry very easily. I am just feeling like, you know, those emotions and your eyes start to, I'm thinking, I'm listening to this and I'm looking at the people around me and they're going, they're all thinking the same thing I'm thinking. This, I'm standing in the presence of a holy person. Uh, this is holy ground all of a sudden. And I said, and I can squeak up, yeah, that, that's exactly what I was talking about today. Because, yeah, and, and I, just, I just thank God that I have this job that gives me a chance to serve people. Now, he didn't say, gosh, I get this job, in spite of that, I'm trying to do it. You know, he was proud of what he did because he had a sense of his larger work in life. His identity, his, his soul wasn't pegged to his job or his status or lack thereof. It was his vision of being fully engaged in a work that he thought was blessing people in God's name. I mean, that was a sermon that everybody in the group around me needed to hear. Not the, the one I had just done. So this is what God wants for us. So the question is, what is your mission? That's another word for your larger work that includes your job. What is your mission? Uh, and about four years ago, uh, one of our members, a guy named Mark Calamini, uh, was the head of surgery at UCSD. I said, so Mark, what's your mission? And he's an awesome, awesome gopher fishing guy. And, and I said, so Mark, what is your mission? He said, the 160 surgeons that I serve is head of surgery. I thought, oh my gosh. And then he left UCSD, went back east, and one time I was in town, I was coming back into town with the airport, waiting to pick up our luggage and, and uh, customs, and there's some people standing next to us, they start talking to us, and it turns out they're surgeons at UCSD, and I said, oh my gosh, did you ever know Mark Calamity? He said, oh, oh, that is awesome. And he just talked in such glowing terms about this guy, and he said, because he was not only the greatest surgeon we've ever known or worked with, but he, I, I, and they said, I think it was his faith. He just had this thing about him that just made you want to be like him. I'm thinking, whoa, his mission, he just exuded his mission. So he told me what his mission was. I heard it confirmed by people who didn't exactly know all the details theologically what made that his mission. So people understand their mission because they believe their life matters. And that God is doing his creative work in them and through them. Whether it's a very mundane, simple job with not a lot of status or prestige attached to it, or a super important job where everybody in the world knows what you're doing, Francis Collins. So, so Paul, the, the rabbi, now apostle of Jesus, writes to some people in northern Greece, in, in Philippi, and all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy, because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day you embraced Jesus until now. And so being confident this, of this, that he who began a good work in you 
will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. You are a work in progress. You've been honored by God to be a work in progress. Uh, have you ever stood in front of the David in Florence? Uh, after standing in a long line waiting to get in to see David? Uh, you, you can't be over, but overwhelmed by the size of the thing. The magnitude of it. You think somebody carved this? Somebody created this from a block? See, this is the beauty of what God's doing in you and me. Now, anybody else walking through the student union when that guy was working, it would say, oh, there's a guy, you know, cleaning tables. No. That was a guy that God was doing a magnificent work in. You are a person, a beloved son or daughter of the Lord, in whom God is doing a work. No less stunning than the work he's doing uh, than what Michelangelo did in the David. And God will complete what he started. So you have more capacity for creative work in you than you may believe. You might be like me. I'm married to a woman who's very artistic, super creative. She has a degree in graphic design, now she is an oil painter. Anything she does is just amazing uh, when it comes to art and those kinds of things. And so I would always say, I'm just not a creative person. Well, I have to stop saying that because all of us can be creative in the way that we use what God has entrusted to us. It might not be artist-like creation or artisan-like creation, creative, but that's what God wants to do. So you have more creative work in you uh, to do than you may believe. So this brings us to the third big final point. Creative work is the mission of everyday people walking with Jesus every day. Creative work. That guy cleaning the tables was doing creative work. Why? He saw a larger reason for his work. Hey man, uh, is that what you do? You just clean tables? Oh, no, 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 no. I prepare a place of refuge for harried and harassed students so they can have a moment of clarity and restoration in the midst of a perplexing, demanding uh, student life. Bigger, bigger, grander version. Not grandiosity. I'm big, I'm very, very big. No, they're big, they're very, very big. And I'm so glad to serve them. So that's what we're talking about. We can all be more creative in our work by committing ourselves and our work to Him. Our work as in a job, and our work in everything, everything we do. If you're the coach of those kids who can hardly get the basket, uh, see the basket, or get the ball near it, or hit the ball off the tee, or whatever the sport is, uh, you, can, you can bring them together for a larger sense of what their work is going to be, right? So here's what creative work looks like. It includes compassion, kindness, intentionality, conscientiousness, patience, imagination, practice, cheerfulness, listening, attention to detail, forgiveness, competence, commitment, good humor, curiosity, courage, risk, hard work, fun work, smart work, love. I could add humility. I could add so many other you know, adjectives, descriptors to this. But that's what creative work looks like. It's a character issue, not creative as we normally think of creative. It's a character issue. It's how your character is being shaped and formed in a way that people say, I just like being with that person at work. Even when we're having arguments, they seem to bring the best out of everybody. Or they recover more quickly than anybody I know from making bad decisions. And so creativity is recognizing the value in everyday situations so that we can help reveal the fullest potential of those situations. Like nursing a little plant. So I love my garden. I hardly spend any time out there because it's drip irrigation, but I take all credit for it. I do so little. 
But every day that I can, I walk out and I go, oh my gosh, look at that. Stuff is growing. It just never ceases to amaze me. I'm a professional third grader when it comes to the garden. Just because I think, how did that, how did that happen? You know, you go pick stuff and eat it. It's so fantastic. And the little worms, they're not that bad, really. They're not that bad. No matter what people say, the little bugs and worms are not that bad. Probably good protein. So we often fail to see God's presence in our work because we're not looking for it. We don't know how to look for it. You don't know how to recognize it. We use the wrong standards to evaluate it. We, we use qualifiers like we're just. I'm just a guy that cleans tables. We should drop the word just. See, I'm a person made in the image of God. And I'm committed to uh, using my gifts in any way I can. And I need to make money so I have this job. And so I treat it with great respect and dignity. I check people into storage units. I check them out of storage units. And I consider that a great privilege to be able to be the person who makes that process a good one for them. Does that not sound awesome? Yes. Have you met people like that? I love it when I meet people like that. They have a whole other way of seeing their world. Seeing the people in it. They're not, they no longer see just objects. They see people with needs, wants, and desires. They see people made in the image of God who perhaps don't know Him. You see, people have so much potential that maybe they've traded it for something less and it's sucking the soul out of them. So we need a whole new, fresh way of seeing this stuff. And so Paul writes to the Colossians again, saying, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord who is filling your heart with the capacity to do work in His name. Not for human masters. You might be accountable to them, but you're not doing it just for them. Why? Because you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. What is the reward? The reward is a deep sense of satisfaction that I am fully engaged in stuff that is meaningful and is contributing to the work that God is doing in the world by giving people for a reason to hope that maybe things can be different. Every time you encounter a person, you're giving them either a reason to believe that life is worth living or not. You're either confirming that their life is a waste of time, they should probably just end it, or they should give up hoping for something better, or you're giving them that sense that things could be better and things could be different, even in the circumstances they are presently in. Remember what we said earlier, live fully in the present where you are, and all of a sudden, doors open up, possibilities open up, relationships are healed. But don't postpone it. I was at the hospital last night. I'm laughing because it's a good outcome. I, was in the, I went to the hospital after church last Sunday to see a dear friend who had a heart attack. I heard he had a heart attack. So I went to see him in the hospital in this very expensive room. And his family members were there. And I said, what happened? I said, when did you have a heart attack? He said, three weeks ago. I said, three weeks ago? He said, yeah, I had this heart attack. I was busy. And, you know, I had... Uh, I had, he, he runs a, a B&B, he goes, I had you know, guests, and I had a wedding. I said, yeah, you're, you're going to have a funeral, right? You know? um, he goes, yeah, I just was busy, so funny. And I was, just, I was just feeling the effects of whatever it was I had. So I went to the emergent care, and they immediately walked me upstairs to another part of the hospital. And then the guy, turns out, uh, the doctor said, hey, you're not leaving, uh, because if you do, next time we see you, we'll be in a body bag. And we're going to take you to Scripps Memorial and see you over there. And, and he had a good stint. You know, he had some stints put in a good outcome. So in a sense, he's good to go. Uh, he has to do a few, couple things differently, but he's a new guy, right? And so what happens is that the reward, the reward that God wants to give us is a life. 
The reward for my friend going to the doctor was a life. He, he didn't end up denying his family the benefit of his life, or the body of Christ the benefit of his life. And so it, it wasn't a big major thing. It, it, it could have died, but I mean, the solution was fairly simple as it turned out. That's the reward. See, the solution is us responding to God in prayer, <coughs> Bible study, in meditation, in our creative work. And what it does is it, He makes us alive. He's putting us together for the long haul. It's the Lord Jesus Christ we're serving. So understanding true, the true value of your work means embracing it as an act of worship. Not worshiping your work, but embracing, embracing your work as an act of worship. It's an expression of the worship we do here. So we call this a worship service, but really, when this service is over, the service begins. You go out to serve Christ. You, you go out to serve people in His name, your spouse, your kids. Not to become a doormat, not to become a person who is taken for granted and, and has no boundaries, but to be a person who is wisely learning how to love and receive love. To bless people even as they glorify God. That's what God wants us to do. To experience the capacity to be alive in a way that he is glorified and people are blessed. And so Paul writes to Timothy, Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who does not need to be ashamed and who correctly handles the word of truth. Correctly handling the word of truth just means you're willing to apply all this content God's giving us in ways that allow us to live more fully, more freely, more deeply satisfyingly. So let's sum this up. God's work in Christ changes the way we understand the word. You get that? God's work in Christ changes the way that we understand every aspect of our work as a human being. Our work then is part of His work from creation to that curse to the calling. And so we glorify God by our work attitude. We bless people by our work aptitude. When you see a person, I think everybody at Trader Joe's must be a Christian or something. I don't know. Every time I go to Trader Joe's, the people are so nice, they're so great, they're so helpful, they're so friendly. And then Vaughn is, Vaughn's is a pagan state. You know, it's Vaughn's just a pagan state. The only Christian of Vaughn's is Bill, you know. You go to Vaughn's and Bill's like, hey, how you doing? You know, and everybody else is like, oh, yeah, I'm off and I'm only off and I'm off. It's only eight more hours I'm off, you know. Um, I like it when I go to a store and they, and they you say, hey, uh, where is the XYZ? And they go, oh, I'll, I'll show you. Versus 50,000 items that way. You know, you might die of starvation or not, you know, thirst by the time you find it. They go, I'll walk you over there. You think, Seriously? Oh my gosh, this is fantastic. See, that's aptitude. People are blessed by our aptitude. We work hard and do what we do so that they get the benefit of it. That's really important. Dorothy Sayers, the C.S. Lewis female counterpart in Great Britain. Dorothy Sayers was a brilliant scholar, social commentator, author, etc. Somebody asked her, Dr. Sayers, um, what is Christian work? And I'm blinking, she said, Christian work is work done well. So our aptitude for work is how hard we work at, at our craft. Our attitude is what glorifies God. Where did you get that attitude from the Lord? Where did you get that aptitude? From just learning how to do it. I consider myself a perpetual apprentice, right? So finally, we do all of our work to honor God, bless people, and fulfill our mission in life. Do not miss this. If you miss this, you miss your life. I was at a dinner party one time, a swanky dinner party in La Jolla, and this guy, um, technologist, is at the table, and kind of a smart alky, cynical way, he goes, hey, so I, I, I was at your church today, and I heard you talking about money. Sounds like the church needs money. 
the whole table, the 12 people just stopped. Very awkward moment, you know. And I, I thought of all the smart alecky things I could say, all the brilliant reposts that I would regret for my life. And Janet would look at me and go, seriously, you thought that was a good thing to say? And I thought, you know what, okay, I'm not going to say anything that, that, but this is a teaching moment. This is a teachable moment. So I just paused for a moment. I said, you know, uh, yeah, the church always needs money. But if this church fails for lack of money, there's a big wealthy church that wasn't going to fail anytime soon. Um, the church will go on, even if this church fails. So yeah, we do need money. But you know what's more important? You need to give. Because if you don't give, you don't live. If you don't learn to give, you are sucking the life out of your soul. <laughs> well, I guess we're ready for dessert. <laughs> This year, uh, in the spring, we realized, my gosh, we have this reversal financially uh, as a church, and in several months we're going to run out of money, so we had to make some decisions out of front, so I got up and told everybody, hey, here's what's going on. And I tell you how disheartening it was when so many people came up to me and said, you know, I've just never bothered to give to the church, but maybe I'll start giving now. I thought, you've been living on the backs of other people giving. You've been taking for granted that we had a need, and we've been doing everything we can to cut costs, and, you know. And the biggest issue, though, for me, is that you have given up the opportunity to grow and to be blessed by God. To the degree that you've not been giving, you've not been growing and going deep with the Lord. You've been depriving yourself of the benefit of your greater work. And of course, then there are people who stepped up and said, hey, I can give you even more. It's beautiful. And the people said, I've never given before, here's five bucks, that was awesome. But the idea is that people who had the means were not doing it. We all have the means here to grow. We will not realize that growth until we commit to a larger, greater work. No matter where you are, whatever circumstances you're in, is the place God wants to do that work. And as you do that work faithfully in Him, He's going to move you somewhere else. You know, you'll be ready for that work then. So do, joining God in His work in the world is the best work we do. Why? Because it creatively connects us to Him and to one another and to our mission. So Lord Jesus, I pray that for me, for my brothers and sisters here, that we can learn in new and fresh and deeper ways what Your work is and how we can join You in The work in us, in our relationships, in our marriages, in our families, in our attitudes, in those secret places of pain, that need healing in those very public places uh, that we need your help. Uh, for all this, we give you honor and glory and praise and pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, Pastor Steve. Spring to this time with tithes and offering. As the ushers come forward, if you have your connection card, prayer cards, if we haven't filled it out yet, now's the opportunity to put that in the basket. If you have questions about life groups or about community serve day, come see uh, myself or Nicole right outside the service, right outside the door. I just want to reflect as the issues are coming forward on what does it mean to worship the Lord? And it's a life submitted to Him, fully submitted to Him. So let's continue our worship with giving
glorify Him and to bless other people in His name. This is your life. Don't miss it. Embrace it. Accept it. Thank God for it as a gift. So now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord give you everything that you need to walk in newness and fullness of life with Him one day at a time, both now and forevermore. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.